Hello there. Some the camera. Who's this? Who's this one? Who's this one? Stop. Stop it. Is that, <laughs> is that Mr. Tony Hatton from Air Force? What, the bass player? Yeah. Yeah. No. No? No, it's another bloody Really? <laughs> looks, it looks a bit like him. I wonder, I wonder if he knows about Satellite 664. Satellite 664, get there. Get on it. Well, Get on it. Enjoy yourself. Episodes <laughs> coming your way. Lots of episodes coming your way. Yeah, man. Next episode, we're going to be talking about our trip to New York. Yeah. And the yeah. recap of the Legacy of the Beast tour, yeah. we're going to talk about everything. Where, where have you just been? New York City. No, McMullins. <laughs> Outside McMullins. They do very good tacos here. Yeah. This is uh, Kaz and Luby live from Brooklyn. New York, New York. <laughs> See you soon. Hi everybody, welcome to uh, this episode 4 of Satellite 664. I'm uh, one of your two co-hosts, Kaz Tagan from the uh, chilly, wintry uh, city of Melbourne, Australia. And as always, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Steve Loopy Newhouse from Romford, Essex. How are you, boss? Hi, everybody. All good, mate. All good. All uh, good. It's nice and warm here at the moment, so I'm sorry it's, uh, it's all cold over there. As you're rubbing you get it better in. summers than we do. <laughs> we get very hot, oppressive summers, actually. So, um, well, it's been a, been a long time between drinks. It's been uh, seven weeks, well over seven weeks since our last episode, but... Uh, I reckon there's a good reason for that loop. Um, well, what are you saying? I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, we we both just come back from uh, well, me personally back from New York, where you went a little bit further. Yeah, so um, Loopy and I caught up uh, in New York. Uh, there was a, a certain tour from a certain band going on, and uh, um, we we met up with a, quite a few friends and attended the. The New York City shows, and um, I then went north of the border to uh, Canada and um, caught the shows in Montreal and Quebec City. They were incredible, which brings us to the topic of the day, and that is um, the recap of the Legacy of the Beast tour. Now that we've seen the European tour, the UK tour, and um, well into the, the throes of the North American tour, we're in a good position to really discuss it and analyze it um, and and that's what we're going to do in this episode and may as well just give a spoiler alert now um, as, as unbelievable as it is but there are some people who um, is quite admirable you know don't want to know the set list they don't want to know the uh, stage show they don't want to know anything about it they just want to go to the show and be surprised so we are going to talk extensively about the Legacy of the Beast tour and the show. So if you don't, if you don't want to know, look, switch off. Switch off and come back uh, at, a, at a later point. So we'll give you... Yeah, I was trying to, like, trying to think if you know, there was a way of actually doing it without mentioning the track names, but you can't do it because it, it's just... It's so well planned. Look, in this day and age, I mean, you know, just about everybody knows, but then there are always going to be the very small minority of people um, who... Dwellers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, who, who want to go and, and you know, have the spontaneity and like it was in the old days, like when 
we used to see Maiden in the old days and we didn't know what songs yeah. they were playing. They were the, they were the good old days. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. The internet can be such a dangerous thing. Exactly. You know, there's always going to be somebody out there that will spoil it for everybody else. And you, you can't get away from it. No, exactly right. So, well, let's let's start. Um, what was your what was the highlight of the, the tour for you, Steve? The highlight? I mean, well... Being in New York for five days, having never been there before, the highlight was just the entire five days. I mean, it's a stunning place. I came away from there thinking I could quite happily go back and live there, mm. especially that little area. With, uh, with, you know, on the last night I was there, we went uh, to a friend's house and had a barbecue there. And then the following day, he took us out for a drive around Long Island. And absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. It yeah. was hot, don't get me wrong, but it, it was... Yeah. But yeah, it's the, the meetups. Uh, I mean, we we spent a couple of evenings in a pub called McMahon's on Fifth Avenue, and uh, yeah, it was just crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, it was. The shows, the shows got in the way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it was. It was um, great to see everybody. Um, you know, we we do have a quite a sizable sort of online community, the Iron Maiden community, and spread Oracle all across the globe and uh, the New York City shows were were very um, unique because a lot of people had flown in. There were people from uh, Europe, the UK, um, you know, from all over the US, South America, uh, Asia. And and it really was a concentration of uh, some of the most passionate Iron Maiden fans in the one place. And uh, one thing that does stick in my mind was, uh, all right, you've got the crazy fins and goes sort of pretty much all over the place. Yeah. And I'd love to earn sort of money they do because I want to do it. But um, when I was out on the, uh, on the tour in 17, uh, Book of Souls, I mean, I met a lot of people from all over the place. And the weird part about New York was they were all there. Mm. All these people that I've met from all over the country, obviously from all over the world, all descended on New York. And there were two guys in particular, two guys I know from Germany, and a lot of people will know them. They're, they're sort of fairly tall, they're both fairly slim, they've both got moustaches, and they both wrap the, these uh, scarves around the tops of their heads. And I saw them in McMahon's, and I've gone, I don't believe this. And it was all high fives and hugs. And it's, you know, I, I saw them on, on the Book of Souls tour, and here they are in New York. You know, this is just yeah i agree i agree i mean i was i was with you at um at at, uh, at that pub as well you know right until two three in the morning yeah. and um yeah the camaraderie was great um yeah partic- and you see that in their a markets you know uh, london new york paris you know los angeles uh yeah you know munich these sorts of cities where maiden play it, it really does attract a lot of traveling fans and it's a wonderful atmosphere but um for me i guess sure i mean i've sort of lost count how many times i've seen the band over the the decades but they are really really on top of their game i mean they are tight they are uh, playing their age just to start with Mm. i mean their age you know for what they do i mean bruce um the, the band of the band, you know, the, the band don't have to run around, yet Yannick still does, like a, a young school kid. Nico's behind the kit, flawless, 
absolutely flawless. And then you've got the other three, Steve Dove and Adrian, who do what they do. And it was as tight as you could get. Oh. It was it really was the tightest show you could get. Um, so let's go back to Bruce and talk about the theatrics. Mm. Because I think there's a costume change in almost every song. It's, um, again, he's running around like a, like a school kid. He, uh, he surprised me. And, you know, he shouldn't really. But, yeah, he did surprise me. Yeah. And I guess just looking at the other, the other lads, um, Adrian Smith just, just keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, <clears throat> he, he is one musician who really is at the top of his game. I mean, his, his guitar playing is sublime. His ability, in fact, all of them, you know, Nick, uh, sorry, Dave as well and Yannick Gers, their ability to improvise um, in their guitar yeah. solos and make each guitar solo ev every different night unique is is incredible. I don't think I've ever seen that. There's not too many guitar players that can actually do that and do it well consistently. And um, it was just a joy to watch. It really was a joy to watch these guys and the musicmanship and the chemistry between them. I, I just thought it really... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it really worked. I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, you, going back to you saying about like, the guitar solos, now, many bands will go out and play a solo note for note mm. as you hear it on a record. Mm. And yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. But, I mean, all three of them, it was improvisation. You know, they didn't, didn't play a solo note for note. They, you know, they did something else. And the following night, they'll, they'll do something else again. It's, you know, it is... I mean, there's only one solo that's, uh, that Adrian Everett sort of keeps up with, that's pretty much note for note. It's Wasted Years. Yeah. It is such a... Such an easy solo, really. But um, yeah, all the others, yeah. Yeah, the three of them, well, three amigos, I mean, it's spot on, really. Yeah, look, it's a formula that's worked well for 19 years now, or 20 years now. And yeah. um, uh, honestly, uh, I know we've touched on this with Rasmus on the last show, but uh, based on what I saw, uh, based on what we saw at the, at the shows that we saw, uh, they're, they're, they, could, they could seemingly go on for a long, long, long time. Um, again, it's an yeah. unknown, we don't know, but gee, it's hard to see a band at, at their peak at this age just stop. It, it just, I can't, I don't want to see it happen, but I can't really see it happen. Um, certainly not in the foreseeable future, so time will tell. But um, the other thing... Um, that I thought was remarkable was uh, for me a big highlight was actually Montreal, Canada. I'd heard about these Canadian audiences. Um, man, they they are wild. They really have a tremendous energy, which is quite infectious. And of the shows that I saw, the the crowd in Montreal was just amazing. And the and that was actually the for me anyway the best show of the tour. By far, um, the band really fed off the energy, and um, mm. they they played out of their skins. And I know that um, I was just talking to a couple of the crew 
the killer crew, they often, they actually said something interesting. They, the shows in Quebec City and Montreal, they treat them more as European gigs rather than North American gigs, which I thought was quite an interesting little parallel. Is that because the French speaking? Yes, absolutely. And, um, <laughs> and well, it's not just... Just, it's not just more of a ling- linguistic issue. I think it's more of a cultural issue as well. I mean, they obviously are you know, very French in their um, attitude. And um, I guess when you when you travel to those places, you really do feel like you're in Europe. You really do feel like you're in provincial France at times. So um, I think that may have something to do with it. Well, unless you get your shoes stolen, of course. What, what do you mean? Why would you get your shoes stolen? Yeah, the jet, the jet from Panini had not been in Canada for ages. And she gets into Canada, and the first thing that happens oh. is someone busts, busts the, the uh, trunk of the car open yeah. and steals a bag of her shoes. I heard, <laughs> I heard about that. I heard about that. I heard about that. I heard about that. But um, I guess the other um, the other incredible thing is, I mean, the the obviously maiden of you know, loads of tours dating back to 1980. Would you say that this is the most theatrical of all the tours that they've done? Uh, absolutely, without doubt. Yeah. Um, it, it's a rhetorical question, by the way. I mean, you know, the answer is, of course, uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's... I've seen the band with, with Bruce since 82. You know, not every tour, because there's a couple I completely missed. But when it comes to theatrics, I mean, over the last seven, eight, maybe ten years, they have added a little more, a little more, a little more. And this time, it's just gone full-blown. Theatrically, this is the the biggest production. I mean, how how they can top this is beyond me. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. then you just take something with imagination. Maybe I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, look, I think in in particular, there's there's certain certain <clears throat> points in the show where the theatricality really comes to the fore. Um, I mean, right from the opener, where uh, Ace is high, where you just the you know you're greeted with this this enormous Ooh. Spitfire. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, we did say that. <laughs> well, we did say that at the start of the show. We and I've, now I've given I've given the warning. I gave it gave the warning at the two minute mark, and um, they've all sort of they should know now. But that um, that enormous Spitfire above the band is is. I mean, you look around the people, the audience's faces, the people's faces. Um, in particular, people who haven't seen the show yet, and, and they're just bewildered. Um, and it continues on almost every song. Where eagles dare, you've got the this this fantastic backdrop of the uh, Bavarian Alps, and those lyrics from 1983 they they come to life with that backdrop, yeah. and it continues on with. Um, uh, yeah, no, just just also we're like wearing wearing the uh, like ski the white ski jacket. You know, it all adds to it. Yeah, yeah, it's. Goggles and everything else, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, always, so. Lippy, you know the sound bite that they use before Where Eagles Dare? Is that from a World War II film? Where's that from? 
Um, it might actually be from the film itself. From where Eagles there? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it might be. I'm, I'm not sure. I, don't, I haven't listened to it for a no, while. No, maybe that's homework that we can do and uh, find out. And <laughs> really, I've well, noticed. Bloody homework now. No, God. <laughs> oh, we've got to, well, we've got to, we've got to do some groundwork, you know. Um, but, but also, too, um, uh, I've, I've noticed Bruce. Now, I know Bruce is really a, kind of like a student of Shakespeare. And he really does like that Shakespearean approach to performances. It's really quite evident, quite strong in this show, isn't it? I mean, uh, and you see that with Sign of the Cross. It's very, very hmm? dark in places, very dark. Yeah, well, Sign of the Cross is is probably, for me, one of the most poignant highlights of the show. I mean, that that backdrop with the, the three crucifixes on Golgotha, and then you've got, um, you know, Eddie holding the cross, and... I think on the bottom le- bottom right panel of that of that banner um, of that drape, there's the um, the crusader or the monk being tortured in the Inquisition. Very very powerful, and Bruce actually brings that to life. You know, he's the he's the hermit with the shroud and um, you know carrying the cross. It's 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 probably one of the most outstanding things I've ever seen. Um, easily one of the most theatrical things I've seen since he wore that falcon mask in 84, 85, or in 85 on the World Slavery Tour. It's, it's really strong and it engages the audience. Um, so, yeah, to echo what you said, um, I don't know how they're going to top this. I mean, and we haven't even mentioned Flight of Icarus, performed for the first time since 1986. Um I mean, I took a I took a mate of mine to the show, and he he hadn't seen Maiden in years. And um, at the end of that song, when the the Icarus inflatable just drops, it just collapses, almost like falling from the sky. I mean, I looked over at him, and he he was gobsmacked. So th- <laughs> they've really yeah. they've really gone to town on this production. I think it's I think it's incredible. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So um, with with the set, now let's talk a little bit about the set list. Um, I, I think this is probably one of the most complete, robust, strongest set lists the band have ever done. Um, and we've certainly mentioned uh, a couple of the songs, but I think one of the real positives of this set list, which makes it such a terrific set list, is the fact that they really do cover all the eras of the band. They cover you know, the, the very early days, that classical period from 82 to 92, and then you know there's a, a really nice nod to the Blaze era with those two songs, and yeah. they go into the post reunion era. I think <coughs> I think it's um, sort of one of the one of the better set lists we've seen for a, a while. Yeah, from start to finish. Um... As you said, they touch on Blaze. They also touch on Diano because they, they won't drop Iron Maiden from the set. You know, no. it's a set close. No. So yeah, it's um, there's not much missing. No. And Rod Smallwood's actually chosen this set list, and I guess uh, the rest of the band approved it. But 
yeah, I have to really give credit because um, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised at that. If, if that is true, then yeah, good luck to you. No, that is true. That yeah. that 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 is true. That's yeah. actually now confirmed. And um, yeah. uh, I guess a, a cross section of a, a fan base were calling out for the more deeper cuts. And again, they've dug deep. They've actually dug deep and given us um, those two gems off peace of mind as well as the Blaze era. So um, I guess on the balance of it, it's a very good set list. I was talking to a couple of, you know, sort of older fans. I was Bruce Calls and Legacy fans. And they were saying, they did mention that you know, they wished the band would play things like Flash of the Blade and the Duelists and Alexander the Great. I mean, yes, it, look, as an older fan, I would love to hear those songs, but the reality is those songs weren't even played on the original tours. I mean, at this stage of their career, with such a huge catalogue, we're not going to see songs like that ever. So, I mean... I, I, remember, I remember having a conversation a few years ago with Adrian, and I mm. said, why is it that the band don't play Alfred the Great? Alexander's Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my mistake. Yeah. It's so long since I listened to the bloody thing. <laughs> um, uh, he said quite simply, because I can't remember the solo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, look, my, my rebuttal to that, though, is uh, such an, an accomplished musician like that, I'm sure he can yeah, learn the solo. It'll take him seconds. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's more that they, they don't, they don't need to and they don't want to. And it, I guess it brings me to my next point. The Maiden's audience, really the concert audience, and tell me if you agree with this or not, Steve, the, that concert audience is probably 85, 80, 85% casual rock fans or casual fans. Um, and quite a, quite a few who, who said for the first or second time seeing Maiden. So I guess... The set list is chosen purely from a pragmatic, practical point of view. They have to cater for that majority. Um, and that majority want to hear Trooper, Run to the Hills, Number of the Beast. Yeah, Hell, yeah. yeah. All, all, all the things you expect to hear on the radio. Exactly. And we saw yeah. it. We saw it together. We saw it from the, um, the reaction of the fans. I mean, when those songs were played, the place absolutely erupted. I mean, you erupted. Um, I did notice, in fact, I actually took a photo, uh, well, two photos, in fact, of the crowd mm. when they started to do For the Greater Good of God. There was just no movement whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I just found it stunning. I mean, it's, yeah, right, it's, it's not my favourite track in the whole world, but the... the, the I don't know, it, it was just something with the crowd. They, it's almost like they were going, well, what the hell is this crowd? You know, it's just such a, a change of atmosphere. Yeah. Very, very strange. And then when they come out of it and they start going at the stuff they do know, all of a sudden the crowd are awake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you saw you that. Can, you can't please everybody. It's, it's, it's impossible. No, so I've, I, I noticed that quite obviously, quite evidently on the, the UK League of the Tour last year, as well as this year, uh, not not so much during Clansman because Bruce did a good job introducing that song, but certainly during Sign of the Cross, for the greater good of God. Um, there, yeah, 
people were sitting down, you know, people were, a couple of people having conversations amongst themselves, <clears throat> others playing on their phones. But now the, <clears throat> now you guys might notice that Loopy has put the, uh, the map of my country um, upside down. And it's a bit of a, the whole... Make you feel at home. Yeah, old sort of down under thing. But no, there's a bit of, look, we're here, we're, we're smiling, we're laughing, but this is serious business. The Ashes is on, the cricket is on. Um, and for our American friends who might say, what the fuck is the Ashes, man? It's, well, you know, our, our countries play cricket and um, at the moment we've got a very, very important tournament on the Ashes, Australia versus England. And just do a quick score check and... Oh shit! We've lost another wicket. So we're we're <laughs> bloody hell. Sorry we're, about that. we're we're two for thirty-two. So it's not 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 looking too good. And um, anyway, let's uh, let's go back to a regular programming. Well, Just plus the fact that Smith's not playing, so therefore it's uh, that's the middle order out. Of, yeah, out yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, just one more. <clears throat> just to close the loop on the set list. Um, I think there are a couple of old crowd favourites which went down fantastically well back in the day that I reckon they could introduce and could be introduced by uh, sorry embraced by the new generation of fans and one is um, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land which let's not forget huge single um, one of the most iconic sort of pieces of artwork that the band have produced um, and um, it, it, it was played as a regular part of the stage show in 86, 87. So I think that's one song that they could reintroduce, but they strangely do not. In fact, that Somewhere in Time album just doesn't really get much of a shake. Um, the other one I thought is 22 Acacia Avenue. I mean, that was a regular part of the set list in 82, 83, 84, and some shows in 1988 and right through the 1992 or so. It is a crowd favourite. It does um, address the adventures of, you know, uh, one of the sort of much-loved characters in the, the world of Iron Maiden, Charlotte. So um, I hope at some point they do introduce those two songs again, reintroduce. Yeah. Um, well... Let's see, we're not going to do this tour, obviously. No. So let's let's look at the next tour, new album. They'll probably do 50% of the new album. Easy, yeah. And 50%, you know, so who knows? Who knows what the future brings? Yeah. Yeah, look, and, and whether, I guess, a band of their age want to do a song about a 20-year-old lady of the yeah. night <laughs> is, is another issue as well. I mean... <laughs> I mean, you know, they've they've sort of moved on and um, you know, singing about other other topics. So now 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 now, Loopy, um, I want to do. I got a rant coming up. Oh no! Yeah, it's one of my rants. I mean, we're we're lo we're not doing well in the cricket. You know, you've, you've <laughs> I think you take it out. On the, on yeah, the you've you've yeah, take out our viewers. Now, you and I were standing there at the Barclay Card Arena. And um, we saw a small but a sizable pit develop with a lot of moshing and crowd surfing. And I saw it in most of the shows. And 
it, it was quite bad actually in Canada. It was, it was really pronounced in Canada. Um, what's your opinion? Before I start on my soliloquy and my rant, what's your opinion on that? Right. It's, my opinion is very, very simple. It's an Iron Maiden show. If you want to go to Metallica and do that, fine. The Iron Maiden fans are there because Maiden are their favourite band. And I don't think it's the right place or time for a mosh pit. If you want to run around and hurt yourself, go back to the playground. You know, I, I just, I just don't see why. I don't understand it. It's childish. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, maybe I don't need a rant now. You just said it all for me, really. Look, it's um, I've never liked it. Um, the first time I ever saw that at a Maiden show was, um, you know, over sort of twenty-five years ago when when it, that whole sort of craze sort of started. And um, I could never understand it. I mean, you've got these sort of Neanderthals with clenched fists just bashing into each other. And, you know, people get injured. I, I remember in way back in 2008, um, somebody that I know of sustained a broken sternum, their breastbone, actually fractured because mm. some dickhead absolutely uh, lined her up ran and um, basically sandwiched this poor girl between the, ba the barrier and she she fractured her, her sternum. I mean, this is dangerous. It's stupid and it, it is completely incompatible and incongruent with Iron Maiden's music. Um, you know, now there's people out there that will say, well, fuck you, you know, it's a metal show. Well, no, it's, it's an Iron Maiden show. And the band don't like it. We should actually point that out. The band don't like it. Um, That's right. That's but exactly right. yeah, Bruce. And also, I mean, you know, if you're getting getting fired up by the pace of the song, and then Maiden slow it down and do as you just said, "Stranger in a Strange Land," which is a lot slower. Mm. What happens in the mosh pit then? Do they just carry on the bashing the shit out of each other? What's the point? I don't understand it. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were saying. This this production on this tour is just so fantastic. So yeah. such Why a that? such a spectacle, and the musicmanship is so good, as we say. How are you going to appreciate that when you're too busy um, trying to ram through better better ram through some poor person? It's it's just dumb. It's just dumb. But you know, it's, the, it's unfair on the, on the people who also paid the paid the price to be in that same same place. Yeah. Uh, if they don't want to be involved, they don't have a choice. No, no. But look, the venue. So if, if it was stopped, then you know everybody would have a choice. And as you said, Maiden don't like it. I know that. Yeah. No, Bruce hates it. Um, look, but I mean, the band are powerless to stop it. I think the venues are powerless to stop it. And um, unfortunately, as I said. Uh, it's 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 a very small minority that does it, but it does create a scene. And I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm actually gonna make a call. I don't think a lot of these people are actually Maiden fans. They, I, I totally agree. They just sort totally of, agree. Yeah, they're just heavy metal. They're just out for a heavy metal concert, and they think whether it's Venom, Slayer, 
Death Angel or Iron Maiden. They're just going to do that, do what they do. So it's 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 a shame because um, once upon a time that nonsense didn't exist at Maiden concerts mm. and one yeah, day it really is the minority spoiling it for the majority. Exactly. Um, we should all say one of the really unique things that we uh, well I saw um, in in the US was um, the sort of phenomenon of tailgate parties, um, which for me was quite a cultural. Uh, a spectacle, and for those that don't know, it's certainly for European and Australian and Asian audiences, it just just doesn't exist. But the the, um, the American fans actually have a big party in, in in the parking lot outside the venue, and they line up their trucks, lower the tailgate, have barbecues, um, play music, and it creates a very much a carnival. Um, sort of festive atmosphere, which I thought was wonderful. And um, a couple of our friends actually at the uh, the Mansfield and Bristow shows, um, you know, held them, held these tailgate parties and we joined them. It was great. It was, it was, uh, it was a really nice ex- uh, nice experience actually. Um, did you did you get to see any, Steve? Never, never experienced it at all, mate. I'm literally going by your word. I've got an idea what you mean. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it on videos and pictures and whatever, but never experienced it myself. Great. All right, now we've got a new segment um, to the show. Yeah. The, uh, well, we're not going to call it the question of the week because we don't do this every week, but what about the question of the podcast? <laughs> question of the episode. Question yeah. of the episode. All right. I can't believe it's episode four already. Right, the question yeah, is, four. who listens to what? I mean, I... I can't believe for a second that everybody here listens to just Iron Maiden. So what else do you listen to? Mm. And what we'd like you to do is um, send your answers, put your put your comments underneath the video on either YouTube or on Facebook, just to give us a general idea of what you guys actually actually listen to. Would be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm personally fascinated. By what uh, Iron Maiden, other Iron Maiden fans are into, because again, as an Iron Maiden community, we we are so invested in this band, and we spend so much time <coughs> talking about the band. Um, we we often don't really shed much light on what we listen to. So, I'll well, tell you what. Well, why don't we get the ball rolling? Why don't we set the precedent, um, Loopy? What 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 do you just listen to Iron Maiden, or do you listen to other bands as well? <laughs> uh, I like the way you did that. Um, I think uh, I know my, my 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 taste varies from day to day. Um, yes, I listen to Maiden. I, I I probably listen to Maiden most nights. But I also tend to listen to bands like uh, It Bites, who are a band from the eighties, a bit of a prog band. But I, I love prog rock. Mm. I really love it. Rush, Rush are my favourite all-time band. Wow, I to Rush really? Quite, wow. Quite a, um, uh, other bands, you know, Judas Priest, obviously, um, there's a bit of Genesis, I mean, it, it, it's very broad my Pink Floyd, you know, I, I couldn't live without Pink Floyd, I saw them three or four times, I worked with them two or three times, wow. various gigs, um, yeah, I, I, I can listen to anything, 
but my, my favourite band are Rush, I always have been. Well, what's your favourite Rush album, Loopy? Ooh, Signals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the main reason being is because the last track, Countdown, is about the shuttle launch. Yes. And um, they brought that album out, um, it was about 82, 83. It was just before I went back out to the States to work with Maiden, and we were taken to see the shuttle launch, which never went. But, um, yeah. Yeah, count the uh, signals. Lupi, I know, um, actually not a lot of people would know this, but um, uh, I know you worked back in 83, 82, 83 with Spandau Ballet. Um, uh, you, it was 85. 85, I'm sorry. Do you, yeah. do you, were you into that sort of genre as well, the new romantics and the 80s with Duran Duran and those sorts of bands as well? I've, I've not so much the, the genre, but I did pick up on Duran Duran. They brought out a couple of albums, uh, Rio, mm. a studio album that followed that, which I cannot remember for the life of me. But um, was it Reflex? Those, those was it Reflex? It, Reflex was the one with tracks on it. Oh, I couldn't tell you what the name of Union of the Snake was. Oh God, those I don't know. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually bought the cassette while I was working for Maiden in Jersey. I was getting so fed up with listening to the crap I was listening to, I went out and bought the Duran Duran tape. <laughs> was this during the Power Slave uh, recording sessions? Uh, sorry, writing uh, sessions? Yeah. yeah, yeah, during the writing session, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. <coughs> that's fantastic. That's just great. Excellent. So... Um, yeah, what about you, Chris? Oh yes, okay. So, spill the beans. Spill, spill the, the beans. beans. Probably listen to Maiden. Probably listen to Maiden. Ah, oh, look, 85 percent of the time that I do listen to music. But um, there are also some other bands that I'm very passionate about. I mean, as you know, and as people who know me well, I'm a huge Kiss fan. I love Kiss. Um, not Kiss now. I thought I think they're more a. a, a crappy tribute band at the moment but or what they've become but uh you know the original kiss um with the original lineup right up until the so-called farewell tour lineup in 2001 i mean i i thought kiss were a force um you know i followed them right through the 80s and 90s um and i became a kiss fan in 1980 and that was when, I mean, in, in Australia, they were bigger than the Beatles. They were huge. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy listening to them. Which was that this year we, we went out? Correct, correct. Yeah. Cor this is true. So about two months after you toured with them, they toured Australia, and it was mayhem. It really was bigger than the Beatles, who came here in 1964. Um, look, other bands are, that I like, um, Queensryche. I think um, uh, Queensryche are very complimentary to Maiden's music. And and I know Steve Harris actually a Queensryche fan, but uh, Operation Mindcrime, which came out in 1988. Did, is, uh, did Queensryche open for Maiden? Yeah, they, they certainly did. Um, 1985, yeah. January, February 85, they opened the... It's not, uh, not all that brilliant. No, they <laughs> opened the Radio City 1985 show. They did on the warning tour, but... Their um, 1988 album, Operation Mindcrime, is, I, I think is one of the most unbelievable masterpieces of, of rock, of hard rock I've ever heard. Um, I like Wasp, um, love Wasp. 
uh, certainly the earlier albums, uh, right up until the Headless Children and Crimson Idol. I think Blackie Lawless uh, is, a, is a terrific performer. And um, uh, sort of being a more of a guitar type fan, I love George Lynch, who, who played with Dokken and Lynch Mob. So they're, they're sort of bands that I listen to when I want to have a bit of a break from Maiden. Um, mm-hmm. amongst amongst others, but anything else you want to touch on, sir? Um, not really, but I do have one little uh, a little bit of a request. Uh, Burfest will be announcing uh, the new lineup for 2020, March 7th, I believe. Uh, yeah, at the Dome Tufnell Park, we'll be announcing the new lineup um, at the beginning of September. So. Keep your eyes open for that, um, and let's hope that it sells well because it's um, it is a it is a worthy cause, and uh, yeah, I'd just like to see you guys there because I'll be there working with Andy. So, Loopy, can you can you tell for the people who don't know, in our uh, from our viewers, tell us tell us about Burfest. Tell us wh- how it started, when it started, what is Burfest, what's the mission statement. <coughs> Right, the idea behind Burfest quite simply was to um, raise awareness and raise money for MS Action Trust. Um, this was started, well, next year's will be the fourth. Uh, last year uh, being the third one, and it is a, a yearly event. Uh, last year's was uh, headlined by uh, Maiden United, who are uh, an acoustic version of Iron Maiden, um, based in Holland. Also on the bill were Praying Mantis, uh, Bank of the Deep. Um, I've probably missed loads, but I can't remember. Um, but the idea is, as I said, it, you know, it, it's all done in, in Clive's name. Um, and it's there solely to raise awareness and raise money for the MS Action Trust. And um, uh, how, many, how many have been held... Thus far, how many events have been held uh, up so far? Three, three so far. Three so far, and how's this? How, what's the success been like as far as fundraising? It's um, it's gradually got better and better and better, but mm. there have been a few problems. Uh, quite simply, when um, this is meant to be done for a charity, and yet you get various artists, and I'm not going to mention any names, but they know they are. They're asking for two grand just to turn up. Then they also wanted flights covered, they wanted their hotels covered, they wanted food, blah, 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 where everybody else was going out and buying their own food. Oh. Yeah, some, some people just don't get the idea of charity. Oh. Um, and Andy, who actually runs it, um, he almost found himself in debt for two and a half grand. Oh, so, uh, you know, it's not good. You know, all right, I managed to get in touch with these people and say, look, you not understand the meaning of charities. You know, just do us a favour, waiver your fees, waiver something, because Andy is going to going to struggle to do this again. You know, people like you take the piss. Anyway, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that um, Andy didn't pass over as much money to MS Trust as he would have liked. Mm. But then he actually laid out so much more money to get the event on. Okay, so just repeat: when's the next Burfest? It's the seventh of March at the Dome in Tufnell Park, North London. Okay, so we've got we've got 
quite a bit of time up our sleeve to um, yeah. to give Burfest a plug because it is a worthy cause. And um, yeah. tickets are uh, sixteen fifty, and the doors are open from three pm. Excellent, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, that's and there is episode four, and there's our recap of the um, Legacy of the Beast tour. We Hope you enjoyed it and um, yeah, get in touch with us, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you and uh, we'll see you uh, We'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah, any questions, just ask. And don't forget to get a copy of my book, Loopy World, The Iron Maiden Years, available at loopyworld.co.uk. See you guys. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.